Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 104, recorded on April 16th of 2020. Uh, I'm your host, Don Kamarechka, a photo geek among many, and uh, many of you are listening. So thank you so much for continuing to listen to this podcast in these very interesting times. I've heard from a lot of people that uh, basically say, um, you know, you're your stories and uh, what you can dig up in the in the news cycle it might be a little bit scarce it might not be as heavy hitting these days but it's still a welcome addition to their week so thank you so much for everybody that's listening and this week, I have a, a friend of mine, a fellow macro photographer, and a photo geek uh, amongst us all as well, who is, I think it's the second time on this podcast. Uh, I am welcoming in Stuart Woods. Stuart, how are you doing today? Um, thank you. And uh, again, thank you for having me. Yes, it is the second time I've been on here. The first time I was very nervous, as you know, but this time I'm ready to go. And uh, yeah. Let's hit this well, one at the ballpark, shall we? Let's do it. And now, but before we get into the stories too, I mean, I want to, uh, we were talking uh, before, I think a couple of days ago that, uh, your, uh, your YouTube channel, which I want to plug now, uh, is uh, macro photography centric and you've noticed a significant uptick as a yes. lot of people have yes. been stuck at home because we've your tutorials everybody... are great, right? Yeah. With everybody being stuck at home, the one thing people are searching for is, you know, what type of photography can you do? stuck at home and the main one you can do is macro because as you know you can do it anywhere you know you can set one foot out your front door and you've got an entire universe at your feet that's a plug intended there yep <laughs> and there uh, yeah and i'm happy to announce because i did say to you uh, in our chat that maybe maybe we can hit the 20k mark and we've actually smashed the 20k mark fantastic congratulations so, um, and where can people find you on youtube Okay, so if you just search in Stuart Wood Art, that will bring up my YouTube channel. Or the easiest way to find me is through my website, which is uh, stuartwood.com. That's S-T-E-W. Because a lot of people try to type in S-T-U and it doesn't work. <laughs> S-T-E-W-A-R-T, stuartwood.com. And all the links to all my social media are all on that website. And I'm glad that I could have inspired some of your uh, attempts at creativity. I know that you've taken things in different directions based on my instruction, and you've yes, found yeah. new creative I mean, avenues to explore. It's It's been fun to watch how that has developed yeah, with, with it, you it, and, it's, uh, and your it's audience. Been, um, it's been real, how can I say it? It's been great, the fact that when I get stuck and I can't find an answer, I can just ping you an email and you'll you'll answer it i mean there's not too many photographers that will actually do that for you like and i've actually run into a few people that, that are like that so to be able to have you as a resource for myself is uh, it's great it really is well, thank you. And I, it's a resource to everybody. Anybody that sends me an email, I can't promise an immediate response right now because my productivity with a preschooler rampaging through the house is at an all-time <laughs> low. Um, but uh, I've got this window of time right now to record this where my wife is taking the reins and, and I'll, well, I'll tag in afterwards. But um, it's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic where everybody now might be able to expand their portfolio of skills you know you're not going to be going out photographing surfers and concerts and, and yeah. landscapes etc uh um, you're going to be holed up at home at least you should be yeah and uh, uh and and that, that's kind of where so. i built my career <laughs> yeah and the one thing um that i have noticed as well is uh, people come onto the channel they've come onto my group in facebook they've come into the discord server and one of the main uh, things that I've noticed from people is when they've turned around and said they didn't realize how cheap it was to actually start macro. Because oh, everybody yeah. thinks you've got to have a macro lens and you don't. All you've got to have is a pair of extension tubes that's compatible with your lens and camera body and away you go. 
it's, it's, yeah. it's great to be able to inspire other people to to pick it up. And I've had a few messages off people where they've said that they're, they're really enjoying looking down this, uh, basically, a, a rabbit hole that is macro photography. Well, and, and as a lot of people know, uh, I've got a book coming out on macro photography and another reiteration that if anybody wants some sample pages of the book, uh, the sample selection that I give out is getting bigger and bigger as I'm working further and further on it, but it's still not complete yet because, well, productivity is low, but uh, <laughs> it's it's actually coming together incredibly nicely. And Stuart, you had an yeah, early look. You were I one of the very first the people to see some of the pages. Anyone who has the book will not be disappointed because it's it's fantastic i love it and i am still getting grief about people wanting it now and i get it because we're all locked up so i'll send anybody that wants them the sample pages if you've already you know backed it on kickstarter or pre-ordered it of course uh and uh, everybody can hit the ground running so let's get into the stories shall we um we've yes. got uh four uh well four and a half i think uh interesting stories here uh an interview from panasonic uh so uh, Yosuke Yamane, who is the director of imaging uh, business division at Panasonic, uh, was recently interviewed. And uh, this is on uh, 43rumors.com, but I've actually seen this pop up in a bunch of other places. It was originally um, the French website Phototrend, uh, or uh, Photorend, I guess. I don't know if that's a typo, but um, a Phototrend, yes, it is a typo. Um, uh, they say, quote, in the title, uh, we want to energize the Micro Four Third, uh, I'm assuming platform, as much as possible, and please wait for future developments. So there was a lot that was discussed in this interview, and uh, we'll touch on the key points, of course. Uh, did you read the interview, and what stood out for you as, uh, as points of interest? Well, before I read this, I thought Micro Four Thirds was dying. Because <laughs> you see a lot of big YouTubers, a lot of big photographers, they're like, they won't even touch Micro Four Thirds. But not everyone wants to run around with a massive camera setup. And you have to excuse if you can hear the dog in the background. Oh, I can. But hey, that, that's the joy of everybody working from home these days, <laughs> is, right? Yeah. The kids are doing something downstairs. So I have to apologize for that. But um, yeah, I mean, if they're going to push it further, that's great. So long as we've got glass to go with it. Because yeah, these Minecraft 4 third cameras, they're, they're punching out some nice images lately, aren't they? Well, and one of the benefits, especially in terms of cost, because to get in on Micro Four Thirds uh, is less than getting in on full-frame mirrorless cameras. I mean, there's some really inexpensive options out there from uh, Olympus, Panasonic, um, and others. But um, the the idea is that, you know, f uh, some people uh, talk to me and say, okay, well, uh, is a full-frame sensor or an APS-C sensor better for macro photography? And it depends on what you're photographing it, on a smaller sensor. Uh, micro Four Thirds being even smaller still, you have an increase in perceived magnification at one-to-one -one life size. So a one-to-one -one magnification macro lens is actually a two-to-one compared to a full-frame equivalent of how, how much you're going to be able to fill the frame with that. And uh, so that advantage right away means that you might not even need extension tubes or extension tubes might go a longer way on a non-macro lens. Um, and I've, I've used uh, the Panasonic 30 millimeter, the uh, Panasonic Leica 45 millimeter, both excellent. And coming very soon uh, in my mailbox is going to be um, the uh, Laowa 50 millimeter macro for Micro Four Thirds. And I'm uh, looking forward to putting that through its paces. Yeah. And I actually, I shot with Micro Four Thirds for a year uh, doing professional photography work just to see what the platform yeah. was capable see, of. I, I have it was. To admit, I, I haven't used Micro Four Thirds. When I started looking at cameras, <coughs> excuse me, 
I knew my end goal was going to be a full frame camera because at that time I wanted to be a portrait photographer. Obviously, that didn't work out. Um, so when I was looking at cameras, I was looking at cameras where I could buy uh, an in- inexpensive body, get full frame glass, knowing I could upgrade to full frame body so i actually skipped the micro four thirds but now i'm looking back at it thinking that would be a pretty nice setup for like a run and gun macro setup of course Um, and and if you could consider the fact that if you have a um if you're shooting at half life size it's the equivalent uh field of view and framing of full life size on a uh, full frame camera however If you're shooting at half life size, uh, it means you're further away from your subject, sometimes significantly. And the further away from your subject you are, the greater your depth of field will be. And that, in some cases, will negate the need for focus stacking altogether, or it might mean that if you're doing focus stacking on a macro scale, that you would have to do less of it. You'd need fewer frames to bridge the gap of focus. In my case, less focus stacking is better, in my opinion. Um, (laughs) Well, yes. I I mean... uh, don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I do focus stacking, but I don't particularly enjoy it because uh, on one side, uh, you know, if, if you mess up halfway through the stack, your entire image is gone, you know what I mean? Yeah. And on the other side, my computer dies while I'm trying to do it because, you know, it's, it's, this piece I'm using now, it's eight years old. And some people are surprised when I say that, you know, the computer that I'm using for my YouTube is actually eight years old because people expect you to have an absolute monster of a PC if you're a YouTuber, and it's just not the case. Yeah, I built mine in 2013, right? I mean, it's 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 not quite as old as yours, but it's just on the heels Ooh. of it. And um, and so, okay, so in this interview, so um, the the micro four thirds versus full frame, basically, they're stating that there is really two separate categories of users: one who yeah. appreciates the mobility that those very small and very versatile cameras um, have. And when I travel, uh, we're not traveling this year to Eastern Europe, but hopefully next year. Um, I would take my little Lumix GX9 and even the tiny little kit lens that you can get. It's a 12 to 32 uh, millimeter lens. Really, it's compact. It's one of those ones where um, when it's in its storage mode, it's more compact than when it's in its using mode because yeah. it has to. It has this ring that you can uh, change the optics on. So compact. And I took that to waterfalls and caves and all sorts of wonderful locations. And I mean, it could, I don't have to have a backpack or anything. I just have a messenger bag with all sorts of other things in it. And the camera fits in there with a number of lenses. And uh, I I remember taking a, uh, what was it? The uh, 100 to 400 millimeter lens, which is like the size of my my mug that I have in front of me, which is tiny. And uh, I'm getting an 800 millimeter perceived focal length to do some amazing landscape sunrise and sunset shots uh, yeah. as a result of that. And so there's benefits from that perspective. Yeah. Um, like I said, so long as they got the good glass to go with it as well, because I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm not up on the the Panasonic side, but now the Canon side, uh, where they got the uh, the Canon, is it the M M series camera? Yeah, the the M series uh, is there's APS-C. not that much glass for it. Yeah, you know. Um, so for Micro but, Four Thirds, as long as they've got the glass to back it up, then I can see. You know, you, know, you go on holiday. I think I don't want to take my big camera. Yeah, you know, and it has actually happened to me. I mean, I've been out and I'm photographing bugs, and anyone who wants to see my set, it's on YouTube. The setup is, and it is big because I'm I'm in the category of I like to have the best photo and video quality, so it is a big setup. But right. then the kids might be doing something on holiday, and then I have to take the same camera with me because I only have the you know the, the, the one type of camera. So to be able to have a, a micro four thirds would be I can see the benefit. 
You know? Right. Uh, so a couple of things here is that they realize that there's two separate markets for that, yeah. but that the APS-C format, which is the crop sensor from Canon and Nikon, uh, et cetera, um, they say very clearly, our strategy is very clear. We will strengthen the Micro Four Third and, uh, uh, and the L-mount in full format. A small uh, L-mount sensor could cause confusion on the market. We have yes. two sizes of sensors, uh, and if we have three, this could cause confusion. So we will not develop an a uh, APS-C version of the L-mount, uh, and we'll focus on the full screen or full frame, I'm assuming. Now, uh, Leica has their TL and CL cameras. Uh, yeah, they, they were announced and, and uh, released years ago that are APS-C format. Uh, L-mount cameras. So those exist, and who knows what Sigma is going to do in that space. They might do something, but Panasonic won't, and I understand why. You don't want to uh, you know, cross the lines of that Venn diagram too too much, and then those lines are blurred. People don't know exactly where to go. Exactly. Um, now, I was like that when I first bought a camera. When I bought my camera, I didn't even know about APS-C or full-frame cameras. A camera was a camera. You right. Know? So um, when they're saying they don't want to cause confusion, I can clearly understand where that is because a lot of people are, be, you know, starting off don't realise there's different size sensors. Exactly. And, you know, Panasonic, when they were uh, trying to evolve from Micro Four Thirds, I don't want to say that as if something bigger is better. I mean, just trying to diversify their portfolio. Um, they started into that about nine years ago, looking into exactly what the, the market would bear in terms of full frame and how they would approach it. And it says in that interview that Panasonic did consider making the L mount compatible with Micro Four Thirds lenses. Although that's a bit of a, um, uh, a, a misnomer there because Early on, I think Panasonic, uh, and I'm just guessing here, but they might not have considered the Leica um, uh, SL mount, as it was called at the time, to be the solution. They were probably exploring all sorts of different options. Um, and the L mount itself, I don't believe is fundamentally compatible with Micro Four Thirds. It all has to do with the flange distance, right? Because um, you would have to have a mount for a full frame camera that has a, a wider diameter to it so that any adapter that you have would actually have to be inset into the mount to allow for the flange distance for micro four thirds to uh, to reach the sensor properly. Otherwise, you would have to have the sensor so close to the mount itself that that would be detrimental for all of the native lenses as well. So um, there was just a fundamental incompatibility from every way I looked at it when the L mount first came out that it just would not, if anybody wanted to make an adapter, uh, I just don't even think it would be physically possible to do so the way the L mount is designed. And if you want to jump into a system that's already established and create a partnership with multiple companies, then you use what they have already established rather than creating your own. And that makes a lot of sense, especially because they are drawing a line in the sand saying that micro four thirds is for one user and full frame is for another, both yeah. mirrorless as they may be. Makes sense in the business-wise, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and uh, yeah, wouldn't it be fun if you could use a, a small lens on a big camera and just have a crop factor? Nikon does that, right? You've got the, uh, the DX mode that you can activate, and it just artificially crops in to a smaller area of the sensor, and other companies have accomplished that. I think you can do that. that on the ESR. Um, don't hold me on that, but the ESR, when you have the adapter, can also use the EFS lenses, which is for the crop sensor camera. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I remember back in the day when it was, uh, uh, you know, the, the flapping mirror cameras that some people would modify EFS lenses because there's a little extra tab on the lenses that prevent them from being mounted on full frame cameras. But if you file that off 
you could mount the EFS lenses on a uh, on an EF body, and you would just have this image circle that you would have to deal with as a result, because of course the uh, the lens wouldn't create an image big enough to cover the entire sensor, and you'd have to crop in. Um, I'm not sure how many people actually had much success with that. Uh, I'm not sure why you would, but it was an option for those that were uh, inventive enough to do so. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like I was saying with the the ESR. One of the reasons why um, I did end up with that, I mean, apart from my friend buying it and making a decision for me, but was the fact that I could actually take my EFS lenses with me. Yeah. So I could use them for say the first six months until I started buying full frame lenses. So um, I mean, it's got a crop. You can do a crop in the actual camera itself, but I don't see the point when you could actually just take the picture and crop in yourself afterwards anyway. Well, and that could help you with composition and so on yeah. and so forth. Like, and I use the um, uh, the high resolution mode on my camera, which Panasonic has in their um, S series, their full frame bodies, but also in a lot of their Micro Four Thirds, and so does Olympus, so does Sony. Um, and uh, I can intentionally fill the frame with like 10, 15, 20% of what my subject is if it's static and use yeah. the full, uh, the, the high resolution mode to take multiple images in quick succession. It bakes them all together in a singular raw file. That's 187 megapixels in size. I don't need that. I was shooting with 20 megapixel cameras for most of my career, but it means I can crop almost 90% of it away to get that same resolution. And I'm, then I'm yeah, further I away what, from my subject. An, an image of that using, was it the, the 24 to 105, was it? Was yeah. It yeah. Like and it, it wasn't a macro lens. I know that. It's, it's a, it actually, especially with that high resolution mode, it functions uh, as a, a more than one-to-one magnification macro lens yeah. once you factor in how far you're cropping in on the shot. Yeah, I, yeah, unfortunately, so, Canon haven't put that on their cameras yet, so I haven't been able to test it. <laughs> uh, well, they they don't have the in-body image stabilizer yet, and yet. Uh, yet. <laughs> you need you need that feature. And I hope it's coming because all their competition is is adding that feature well, in. And so uh, Canon Canon like to do some weird things, like on the EOS RP, you've got focus stacking, but on the R, you haven't. And it's it's weird the way they do things, but. Uh, I've it's never like been able it. to figure them out, uh, yeah. and I've stopped trying. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, again, in, in the current pandemic scenario, uh, there is a note here on the effects, uh, and it says, we are trying to minimize the damage caused by COVID-19, but the response was dated March 5th, so that's over a month ago, and things have become a little bit different since then. Certain it's, lockdowns and countries... It's changing daily at the moment, It's changing it? daily, We've and... We've just uh, heard, literally just an hour before we recorded this, that our lockdown has been extended by another three weeks. I saw that too. And yeah, so. uh, I mean, stay safe at home, people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, I went out grocery shopping earlier today and I I have some masks that I bought for spraying pesticides on our fruit trees. So I, I wore that. I mean, I, uh, I don't know if I'm uh, asymptomatic, but a carrier. Uh, so I wear a mask. I, I, I might protect me too, but that's not really that, that, why I'm wearing the it. Sc- scariest thing is you don't know. Nobody but, knows. We don't know if you've had it. You don't know if you've you've got it and just not symptomatic or whatever. Uh, you know, like you said, and um, it, it, it's scary just to think that one little slip up could kill somebody. Well, <laughs> and I I wish everybody was as fearful 
because yeah. when I was out grocery shopping uh, here in central Ontario, but one out of every five, one out of every six people was wearing some kind of face covering, a homemade mask, a scarf, uh, a surgical mask, or uh, I was lucky enough to ha- had bought like a three pack of N95 masks back in like November of last year. Um, and I, I worry wearing one of those though, because people might be scour- uh, scowling at me. It's like, why, why are you wearing an N95 mask? Those are supposed to be for the, the frontline workers. And well, I, I bought a three pack at the hardware store last year. Don't get mad at me. I, they probably wouldn't accept it as a donation in an open package. No. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, they, uh, they said that we have a production site in, in China, um, but near the Eastern coast towards Taiwan. So the damage is not great as it is in other cities. 80% of the employees have already returned to the factory uh, and some suppliers uh, are still having difficulties in these circumstances. We're trying to minimize the damage and camera factories in China are starting to operate again right now. And that's only continued to open up because even in uh, Wuhan, where the, the biggest outbreak was, they're starting, uh, albeit slowly and very cautiously to return to normal uh, yeah. so the manufacturing I, I i don't know if it's going to have a huge impact i know that uh, japan has just gone uh to a, a national state of emergency as well so that might affect how people can uh, get together in meetings and uh and, and build product and, and software and, yeah. and the things needed to, to push like out the same with the, uh, the production the production is down because of it but at the same time sales are also down because people aren't buying cameras at the moment well, people are in survival mode in a lot yeah. of cases. And, it's the same you know, with me. I, I haven't bought anything for the YouTube channel since we went in lockdown because I, it's an uncertain future. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. I, I always try to spruce up the garden in the spring because I normally do uh, macro workshops through the summer months. And I've, I'm in the process of pushing some of those back right now uh, and maybe even just, uh, you know, pushing them off to next year. Yeah, uh, I, I was working that, on, uh, I've got a lot of people asking me about uh, workshops and that, and I was starting to figure out you know where when and where to do it but now i've just i've literally just pushed it back to next year now right well i mean i already had stuff on the books and i'm looking workshops in july and august uh well well, because i hadn't announced anything i have the um you know i can just go leave it till next year you know right well i mean if anyone If uh, if I don't have any community spread uh, in our area or the areas of any people that are uh, you know registering for the workshops mm. for a period of time, they'll they'll still continue, and I'm kind of keeping my finger on the pulse of that. Um, but uh, it's best to just stay home if you can. You, you need and, to do a uh, workshop in the UK, man. I should, and- yeah. Uh, maybe I should plan something for 2021. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. If you need an assistant, you know. <laughs> uh, hey, wait, wait. A, a partner, a partner in crime. A partner to, to in make crime. That. Yes. Yeah. We'll we'll plan on that after this. But uh, well, let's move <laughs> on to uh, to some interesting news in retro cameras, but not really retro. Maybe retrofitting would be the better word. Um, and I found this came across my newsfeed from Hack a Day. Uh, they wrote a story on a classic Leica film camera that turns digital. And so this is a, a guy that makes uh, what he calls the Franken camera. And I believe he started with a Konica Auto S3. Uh, and now he's modified a Leica M3 in order to be a digital camera. And the modification is not simple. You have to have uh, either a uh, Sony NEX, I forget exactly what the model, an NEX7, I think, um, or an A7. You got to take that camera and you got to take it apart and cannibalize all of the parts that make it work and also take apart 
a, uh, a, a Leica M3 and by some ingenuity mesh them together in a way that is just organically functional and beautiful and just everything is perfect. Um, I looked at the, uh, the brief instructions on what to do and uh, my eyes kind of glazed over because it's the kind of thing that I might be able to do if I buy a dozen of each and screw up 11 times before I finally actually get this to work. Um, I, I would like to know the final price tag of this camera. <laughs> That's what I would yeah, like to know. Well, uh, <clears throat> well, I mean, I'm sure that if you, uh, if you give the guy <laughs> enough money, he'd make the conversion for you. But it's, it's so seamless because it, uh, the viewfinder... Uh, has the electronic viewfinder in it. You know, the buttons on the M3 function to control the hardware of the A7. And the A7 sensor is just on the back of, like, it, there's no clunky add-ons, which also across my radar uh, this week was I'm Back has returned to Kickstarter with an updated I'm Back 35 digital back for old 35 millimeter SLRs, which is kind of this big clunky grip that goes on the bottom that uses a Raspberry Pi and its own separate camera to image a, uh, a piece of ground glass um, that sits exactly where the 35 millimeter frame would be and in that case it's kind of it, it's a it's a non-permanent modification it's very easy to just kind of slap that on any compatible camera uh and the cost is probably much much less for something like that <laughs> uh they say approximately 258 dollars us um but yeah I, i've just always felt like that was just kind of putting a a band-aid on a wound that need needed stitches like it it, it worked <laughs> at least temporarily but you wouldn't really be happy with it in the long run see, um, see, when, when i look at it i mean i, I know you're going to disagree because you're geeking out right? <laughs> but when i look at it it reminds me of when i made something when i was a kid and i say look mom look what i made and my mom would turn around and say why i'll be honest with that i've never been a fan of lacier cameras i'll be honest um i'll just have a look of them it's personal opinion uh yeah i mean they're not really ergonomic uh but they do have an iconic feel to them and and if you've ever used one um it is a certain experience like it, it does feel like there's a certain heft to it um that the way that the controls move like there's uh sort of some level of I don't know, decisiveness in the way you cock the shutter and like it, it just it it feels like a really solid well-designed everything is machined perfectly and the same is true of a lot of their lenses but so does um, all the buttons work after it's converted that's what it says yeah, yeah. we haven't talked about that because yeah so it, it's it, like it's like having a classic car and putting like abs and power steering into it but then it's no longer a classic car well, some people have taken classic cars and put like Tesla motors on yeah. them and batteries. And yes, they have. But, uh, and I actually don't mind that. You know, if, if I were to get like a 1970s Corvette Stingray uh, and have that as an electric monster, that would be a fun thing to drive. I wouldn't mind that one bit. Well, don't you think it would take something away from it, though? Because it's like, you know, the feel of the wheel and the motor and all that together in the classic car is just what makes a classic car. My personal opinion is that it adds more than it takes away in a different direction, mind you. And and I'm sure the purists would disagree with me. Uh, <laughs> it's not the same. It's not better. It's different. Yeah. Uh, and but I like the evolution of technology, but I also hard, like, you know? I love the classic design yeah. of mechanical, tangible things. Um 
Yeah. So that that's that's where we differ. You say I love um, the new high tech look of cameras rather than the classic look. It it just looks clunky to me. <laughs> right. Well, and the yeah. I'm back 35 looks really clunky. I mean, that's. I don't. I don't know. I mean. Hey, it works, and for that price point, I'll, I'll tell you what. Though, I mean, the engineering behind it is fantastic. Though, I mean, for him to actually get that to work in digital with the buttons working as well, I mean, that's. A, that's oh a yeah, so that, that Franken camera yeah. uh, is. Uh, I, I have to give the utmost kudos, and I'm surprised I hadn't heard of this before. And so you can read more. Just follow the show notes at photogeekweekly.com, or um, uh, if you're listening and you want to make a mental note, it's simply Franken camera. Dot wordpress.com and uh, there's some really interesting material put into that so um, if you want to uh, rejuvenate that classic Leica camera and uh, you don't want to stick one of those weird backs on it uh, you want to actually on unlimited in- budget <laughs> yeah well hey I mean these things don't come free and uh, if it's a DIY job you better yeah. be uh, better be your, your good at taking things apart. <laughs> yeah, you better be good at taking things apart and putting them back together. Yeah, that, that, that's when you put it back together and realize the screws left over. And you're like, oh, um, oh, I've oh, done that with maybe like, this bicycles. is an IKEA job. <laughs> uh, maybe I've I've done this with bicycles when I was a child, and I'd always put it back together, and there'd be some screw or some tiny piece <laughs> I, left over. And I know eh, we're going off topic slightly here, but two years ago, my, my son had a BMX for Christmas, right? And I put it all together, and there's a couple of screws left over, and I'm like. Eh, I'll be all right. That, that must be the spare ones. And 10 minutes later, he's going outside saying, the brakes don't work. <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, yeah. I... <laughs> that happened. <laughs> that, that, that does happen. It does happen. So there you go. If you want to live in both the past and the future at the same time, that conversion is based on a Sony a7, which is relatively affordable now, uh, considering uh, its uh, its age. I'm sure something similar could be if you were inventive enough done with an A7R or another body uh, because they are all kind of based on the same framework. Uh, yeah. Although your mileage may vary because I looked at those instructions and they don't look detailed enough to me to be able to pull it off. <laughs> Leave just enough out, yeah? Yeah, and it was an NEX5, not an NEX7, although I'm sure the, the conversion would be fairly similar between them. All right, um, this one is kind of a, uh, again, it's related to the scenario that we are in, this uh, this new world that we have found ourselves in within the last month and a half, two months. Um, it was, I originally saw it in the Toronto Star, but I saw that uh, Petapixel picked it up as well. It, is that the Canadian Photography Association, um, or really the uh, Professional Photographers of Canada, PPOC, uh, is asking people to stop taking, quote, porch portraits, or what I call porch writs, um, which I think is a fun term. Uh, and this is a thing that's been happening for a while, where uh, photographers out of work and families kind of uh, desperate for some way to possibly remember this era of society that we live in are hiring photographers to uh, at very safe distances. Like if you if you're shooting weddings, you've got a 200 millimeter lens, or at least you should. Yeah. And so you can do a nice portrait at a big distance, especially 200 millimeters with a group, a family on a porch. You're well beyond the physical uh, distance requirements that people are putting into place today. And uh, so PPOC has released a statement asking people to stop doing porch portrait sessions, a kind of social distancing photography that's become very popular as families isolate and photographers find themselves out of work. Now, there's a number of photographers that have uh, uh, 
that have been doing this and not even for their own benefit, but they've been donating the proceeds to charity. Or what they do is they ask their customers to donate whatever they would like to charity and just send the photographer a uh, receipt of that donation just to prove that they actually did it of any amount that they are comfortable doing. So I think that really helps with uh, uh, the world at large and people get great images that effectively turn portrait photographers into photojournalists on a household by household basis. What do you think of all this? Oh, um, my question would be how many complaints did they get to actually put out a statement? Yeah. That would be question because I mean, sometimes people. I mean, let, let, let's be realistic here. They're not breaking the um, the rules, you know, the distance rules of um, you know what's going on at the moment. Uh, are we allowed to say the word, or are you going to get flagged down for that? <laughs> for, for what word? I can always bleep it. The the, the c word, you know, the, uh, the the virus that's going on. Oh, COVID nineteen. Yeah, no, we can say yeah. that because we can't say it's on YouTube because it, it buries your video if you do. Um, but basically, so. You've got these guidelines to social distancing and all that. They're working in between those rules to basically help people out because it's not a case of, you know, you got to go and get food, but you've got to stay mentally able to do stuff. Now, I suffered Tuesday. I had a bit of a little bit of a lapse uh, in my anxiety and depression, and I just took a day, a couple of days off. You know, I'm, I'm back to mm-hmm. it now. I'm, I'm okay. But... I feel for people that don't have family, you know, yeah. and to, just to be able to go out and interact with a, a photographer, get your picture taken would be nice. But then, like I said, how many people, let's, let's face it, it's going to be the neighbors have complained about it. Mm-hmm. It's, well, and um, it's, it's, it's uh, quite I, scary. <laughs> but also you think about, okay, is a photographer an essential business, is it an essential service right now? Uh, and it's not essential. It is definitely no, not. But, definitely not. Um, but you also see the photojournalism that is documenting everything around the yeah. world. The images that come out of uh, the hospitals and uh, you know, they help really the storytelling uh, as uh, depressing and dismal or shocking as it might be. Those images, I think, are important and they are essential uh, yeah. from that side of things. And so do you also then have a uh, an essential... Uh, ability to show the good side of things right the people staying at home the the family bonds that are created at home is that not as essential not being covered i mean you you, i can look at the news now and you'll have the uh, the death toll you'll have um, all the people that are uh, not staying at home but at the same time they don't cover the people that have stayed at home they don't cover the empty beaches the empty parks i mean you get uh, one park, there's one not far from me where um, not only could you not park on the car park, you couldn't actually park on the road. There was that many people there. That got plastered all over social media because it was, you know, a, a no, no, don't do it. But then when the park is empty, no one takes a picture to show that it's empty. Well, and, and to that point, um, you're taking pictures of people on their porch because the world has changed, because this is a new kind of reality and you're showing people staying at home. You're showing the positivity of this entire environment. And I think that the, um, the enigmatic eccentric expressions, I've seen people like wearing Halloween costumes, just standing or everybody wearing matching pajamas because they're all at home the entire day. You know, this is the kind of thing in the mentality. It illustrates the mentality that a lot of people have, uh, the, uh, the slight 
lack of sanity that people are experiencing now because the world is not normal anymore. Um, and to document that, I think that yeah. uh, in the future it's for also, people that study society, you yeah. know, uh, for from uh, like uh, anthropologists and and everybody else that that look back on this time, those images I think are as important as the the chaos and the uh, uh, the most difficult moments that are hard to witness. Yeah, it's it's also it's um, it's how quickly it happened as well. You yeah, know, it was like it was just like one week you you're normal, the next week you're locked down. It's it's just it's mad just how quickly it went. And uh, the article says as well that the the the, the photo community is mixed as well. Basically, yeah. they're they're calling them the uh, the photographer police. <laughs> yeah, I find that kind of funny. <laughs> the photographer police. Exactly. And, um, you know, you basically know, the, the, the official, uh, the, they quote the Canada's top health officials repeating the message, stay home, work from home if you can, go out only for essential reasons, keep a safe distance of at least two meters from other people, six feet uh, and yeah. change if you're in the US. Um, and uh, and go out to exercise, but stay in your own neighborhood. Actually, we, when we go out, we just stay in our own backyard. We don't, you know, even go into the sidewalks. And yeah, like in, in our situation here, no one has left the house apart from the wife, and that's just to get the shopping. Um, so obviously, I've got the garden. I'm halfway through getting the garden all, all done up and cleaned up, and that uh, it was all it was already being done anyway. So I just had to bring it forward a few weeks. But the um, the kids are staying positive, and like I said, we just have the wife go out. She gets the food, comes back, and uh, she always comes back with a story of somebody out there's not paying attention, not doing this or not doing that. I mean, yep. the weekend we had lots of people in the park sunbathing and having barbecues. Oh boy! Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well let, let, let's not dive too deeply into that. But <laughs> no. Stuart, I, I want to ask you: Would you consider? hiring a photographer to take a porch portrait of you and your family um uh sort of pro bono maybe you donate something to charity maybe you donate some of your services to charity or something but you keep a photographer active in the community and you keep your community positive and you get a photograph depicting this era in your lives that is so memorable but you can't see it from the outside unless you do so yeah it, uh, it it had come down to the photographer itself. I mean, it's like with wedding photographers, you know, you pay for what you get. Now, unfortunately, when I got married, I didn't even have a photographer. So, you know, any chance to get um, some pictures of the kids, I would actually take it. And it, particularly if it's going to help support a local photographer. Right. Then, um, yes. But on the other hand, uh, this is a very thin line I'm treading here, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. You really put me on the spot here. Keep going. So, um, from a family man point of view, so if you forget I'm a photographer, from a family man's point of view, I would rather not do it because, again, I wouldn't want to risk picking it up and bringing it back to the family. But at the same time, you know, as a photographer, I'd want to support local photographers. So it's a very well, hard question and, for me to answer, I'll be honest with you. Well, I, and if the photographer I was hiring, I knew had a 400 millimeter lens and could stand at the end of my driveway yeah. and do the portrait and be no closer than that. I mean, that's fine. I have absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. And in fact, I might, uh, as this is prolonged, uh, try to hire somebody locally and, uh, and let them do that. Or just put my own 400 millimeter lens at the end of the driveway and say, Hey guy, use that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, well, I mean, how, how disappointed would you be if someone turned up and you got an iPhone? <laughs> uh, yeah, I I would definitely have to vet the photographer beforehand. Uh, well, yeah, it's like hey. I said, you know, depending on the photographer, I mean, if he's got a good portrait, good good editing, yeah, uh, why not? Because it's, not, I mean, particularly in the UK, it's not actually breaking the rules in the UK. Well, and I yeah. I donated money it, to. Our... I mean, it could just drive up in the car, wind down the window, take the picture, and then just drive off. Yeah. Sure. You, know? uh, you don't even have to get out of your vehicle. If, no. uh, again, at the end of the driveway, you can you can do that. And I think that would be safe. Um, like the other day, I, I donated uh, money to my local food bank just because, uh, you know, if anybody's hurting, I'm sure they are. And, um, and they're an, uh, an easy person to just uh, throw at least some dollar value at to help out the, the overall community. Um, but if I had a photographer that said, Hey, if you, uh, if you hire me to do this, uh, I, all I want is a donation to a local charity. I would give a much more significant number, um, because I'm helping and I'm helping everybody. And, uh, I, well, maybe I'd give the photographer that money in the assumption that they then donate it themselves so that they get the tax credit, right? Cause you gotta just help yeah. everybody around you. Um, all right, let's go on to our next story, uh, which goes into a level of luxury that is rarely seen in lenses. Um, and I just, I had yeah, fun can, with can this. I, can I just jump in here and say that Yo, this, please. this thing here has got to be the most gorgeous lens I've ever seen. Oh, it's, it just it's, looks awesome. It looks like an eyeball. It, it needs to be like on a pedestal in a museum kind <laughs> of does. thing. It's like a, a jewel that should not be touched. Although, okay, so what we're talking about here uh, is from Japan Camera Hunter. Uh, which I don't think we featured any stuff from them before, but the title of this one is Camera Geekery MS Optics Apoqualia uh, G 28mm uh, F2 M mount Urushii Special Edition. And uh, there's two different versions of this lens, but each of them have this ornate, like, uh, more golden than brass kind of outer edge that is just decadent. Followed by a, um, a a semicircular outer area that looks kind of like um, some kind of marble. Like marble. Yeah, but yeah. but like it's a they've got an option that's in a bluish green on black marble and a red on black marble. Believe me, uh, you've got to see the pictures to. Oh, you you really have to see. You got to look at this, and then you have, of course, the lens inside that, uh, and the lens cap is also um, semi-spherical that continues the exact same marbling pattern that fits perfectly that would make this wonderful, not a complete semi-sphere, a little bit up from that in terms of the volume. Um, And it's just, it's beautiful. You you ha- check out the show notes photogeekweekly.com and check yeah. out this lens because the, the it red, is what- the red one looks like the computer from um, two thousand and one a space yeah obviously. Hal nine thousand just <laughs> yeah, about that's the one, Hal 9, you need to have a little brighter red dot in the middle of it mm. um, so I mean twenty eight millimeters is a fairly functional street photography lens which a lot of people prefer on rangefinder cameras which this is made for the Leica M mount I actually have an adapter uh, for the Leica M to the um, the L mount. And so I could adapt that to my cameras as well. Um, but it just looks beautiful. And I, I don't know. Okay. It, I don't care if it's good. It's that beautiful <laughs> that it would just be something like camera bling. People that wear like ornate camera it straps. Is, this bling, is an ornate bling. lens, right? 
Now, uh, what, what's it cost though? Uh, because this is not something that is uh, that is generally affordable for a manual focus sort of unknown brand of lens. It's thirteen hundred dollars US, uh, and it's uh, it, it's f two. You know what the f two will do for you, don't you? What's that? Really nice bokeh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Boca. Yes, that's that's how I pronounce that word, and I'm sticking to my guns. Um, okay. All right. Let's move on. But uh, <laughs> we are joking regarding uh, yes. the uh, the backlash that I had on the latest DP Review TV episode, where I talk about how to make some magical uh, Boca, and everybody was complaining that I'm not pronouncing it in the Japanese way. And that's because I'm not speaking Japanese. Um, when words are borrowed from one language to another, the pronunciation almost always changes. Maybe like a quarter of English words are derived from French and we don't speak them the way that the French do. In fact, if you speak Parisian French uh, and you speak French Canadian French, oh, they hate each other. And they're both speaking French <laughs> because of the way they mispronounce certain words. Is just the dialect alone? Okay, I'll stop there. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> um, it's Boca. To me, I'm just anyhow. on the shop now, looking at the um, these lenses. They're thirteen hundred dollars. Thirteen hundred dollars US, yep. and I mean, you could spend a lot more money on a uh, uh, a hipster kind of lens or something that's iconic from a brand like Leica that might even be decades old. They carry a, a significant price tag, but that kind of begs the question, Stuart: Why hasn't Leica gone to like add bling accents to certain things like this? Because I think it's really tastefully done. Hopefully the lens is actually a good lens. I couldn't find any reviews on it per se. Um, but it, uh, uh, it begs the question, why doesn't a brand like Leica that makes all of these limited edition versions that have like camel green colors or special patterns or what have you, why haven't they gone to this level of decadency uh, with know. any of their products? People like bling. People like <laughs> yeah. bling, you know. So why not? Why not do that? Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I'm, maybe, I'm maybe, tempted... I could, maybe I could strip down my ESO and spray paint it gold and black. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if somebody else has already done that because uh, that would just stand out in a crowd. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I want to stand out in a crowd, but whenever I go on a photo walk, uh, I usually bring unusual equipment, either a a 3d uh, a film camera which i've done in, in the past a four by i did a photo walk with a four by five large format camera slung over my shoulder the entire day i took six frames hey did um, that get on did you get a decent picture uh i think i got one or two that were passable <laughs> um but everybody wanted to see the results right everybody was very engaged because they saw how carefully i was composing things mm. uh, at that time um but it was more of a conversation piece than it was anything else i've taken a very ornate pinhole camera out a number of times and i always get compliments or at least some conversation starting questions about what i'm doing and what this is and and that's always fun and i enjoy that aspect of just engaging random people no idea who I am or what I'm doing, but they're just so curious. And uh, this would yeah. be a fun I've, level of I've curiosity. I've started experiencing that now because uh, obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking things outside now on the YouTube channel. It wasn't until lockdown, that is, anyway. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're out there. I've got my setup photographing some bug that, you know, a normal passerby wouldn't even be able to see. I've got then the wife, and she's got the uh, the, the other camera on a Ronin S uh, filming me. 
and mm-hmm. some of the looks you get, and then you get the odd person who will just pop up and go, what, what are you doing? And then we'll just explain, <laughs> and they get so interested into it as well. And um, they instantly go, is it for YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows, second <laughs> you see go. a video, it's YouTube. You know, but see, yeah, yeah, I mean, yes, you get these people that are not even photographers, and they start asking questions, and they really do take an interest in what you're doing and what you have actually got to use it. And this, uh, I've got to say, that on the sales web page, let me just check the actual article. Yeah, they got it on the article as well, where they got the uh, the red lens on the black camera, but they've also got a red and black um, cord on it as well for the yeah, strap. Yeah, nice camera strap. Everything just like just you got to accessorize, together. man. <laughs> you you, you got to theme it. You got to theme. You got to go with a theme. You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, it does look. It looks awesome. It really does. All right. Well, I mean, l- let's stop fawning over it because it is really exp- <laughs> more expensive than it needs to be. But re- I could buy another the- ESR for that price. <laughs> I'm putting out the call to lens manufacturers. I don't care if it's like a pre-order version of a lens that gets an exclusive gold trim on it or this nice uh, marbling or something that just makes it feel like a gem. Um, offer it to people. Yeah. You'd be surprised at how many people first, would buy it. The first 100 lenses off the, um, the manufacturing line has some sort of bling bling on it. You could charge three times more for it. Yeah. I'm sure at least 100 people would dig in and say, yeah, I want that one versus the regular version. Yeah. Um, and hey, if camera companies are hurting right now because the economy obviously is not doing great, uh, then there is one way that probably doesn't cost them a whole lot that would generate a few extra sales. So, hey, there is a there's an idea. All right. That, that is our fun story for the week. And that ends the stories. But we still have picks of the week. Stuart, you said that you can be found at stuartwood.com yep. earlier in the episode, and that links to everywhere you are, including your YouTube channel. The show notes for this episode are at photogeekweekly.com, and you can find me at doncom.ca. That's D-O-N-K-O-M.ca. Um, so there's the the plugs where people can find us. Now, picks of the week. Stuart, what are you going to bring to the table today? Well, I'm going to bring something that I have spoken about um, a couple of weeks ago on my YouTube channel. And uh, that is heat shrink wrap. Now, this is stuff that is used in electrical uh, components. So you might yep. put two cables together, you put the heat shrink wrap over it. Heat, you put a, a heat gun or a lighter yeah. nearby and it just shrinks, shrinks up all over it. your cable to basically seal it. And I put a video out and the response to this video that I'm going to talk about has been really good. And that is um, alligator clips. Now, if you're doing uh, any kind of flare photography, water drop refraction photography, I know Dom does a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got uh, specimen holders, uh, memo clip holders. They're relatively uh, budget-friendly holders that you can use to hold on your subjects, like petals or flowers. But out of the box, the alligator clip is too strong, and it will break your flower's stem. They just literally clip straight through it. But if you put some of this heat shrink wrap on there, which is very, very cheap, heat it up. Yeah, you cut it to size, heat it up. It will shrink around the teeth on your alligator clip, and that alligator clip will no longer cut through you, the stem of the flower that you're photographing. That's a and, brilliant uh, idea. I put I it mean, out I, there. I'll just put it out there as a quick video, and the response to it has been absolutely overwhelming, that people like, they didn't think of that. They've been going out and buying new clips that have the uh, plastic already on them. And it's like, <laughs> well, you don't have to. Just get this tube, and it's re- like I said, it's cheap. 
And, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd never thought of using heat shrink tubing, but that seems a very effective solution. In the, in the past, I've used something similar. I've used craft yeah. uh, uh, leather and that you can buy in small little pieces and you only need the tiniest little, like it's like a centimeter by a half a centimeter or whatever the length of your serrated yeah. uh, uh, clips are. And I, I was gluing those on some of these clips in order to make them softer, but this seems cheaper, easier, and it's not it's, gonna fall it's off. It's very easy, you just you cut it to size, put it over, heat it up, bang. Because obviously when it shrinks down, it goes over the teeth and molds itself to the teeth. So it's not gonna fall off either. And the other thing I found out, which uh, I didn't show in the video, because I found out since, is if you leave a little bit of length afterwards, you can get it to be even softer. So if you've got something that's really, really delicate, like uh, forget-me-nots, for instance, you can put them on the very tip of it and it'll just grab it just nicely to hold it while you photograph it. That's very cool. All right, so heat shrink tubing. Uh, you know, get the appropriate size for the size of your alligator clips, mind you. But uh, that, I, I'm sure you can easily get from any online retailer that's delivering right now where you yeah, don't have to leave the you house. You can get it from anywhere. Like I said, it's, it, it's used in e electrical uh, stuff, so... Awesome. look it up you'll see it if you're confused have a look at the video on uh, my youtube channel that will show you everything you need to know about it we'll put a link to your video as your pick so that people make sure that they can see exactly how they can use it and my pick is also a diy thing that applies to macro photography as we're all holed up at home uh, and that is a pringles can and uh, you might have one in your kitchen uh, in your pantry or you might have one in your trash go rescue it before you throw it out um and it doesn't have to be Pringles, uh, that's the brand name, but any uh, stacked uh, chip in a conical container. You could even be more inventive. You could like wrap uh, tinfoil inside of a paper towel tube. I mean, what you effectively have here is a tube that's lined with a reflective material inside. And uh, Pringles cans end up being at just about the right size where a, uh, a speed light flash head can fit perfectly inside the end of it. Uh, then you cut off the bottom. I typically cut it off on maybe about a 45 degree angle or so. I, I don't really measure it. Um, and to cover that, uh, in the case of the one that I have here with a coffee filter, you could use wax paper or paper towel, it, just something that will uh, let light pass through, but also diffuse light at the same time. So what's going to happen then is uh, your light from the top of your camera will then be kind of funneled down this and reflect out as if the end of the tube is now the source of light uh, being diffused at that particular point. And that will often be right on top or much closer to your subject, giving a much higher quality of light uh, for something that costs you nothing uh, or maybe it costs you a snack if you don't have a Pringles can handy. Um, uh, so that I actually have a magazine shot on a, uh, on the cover of, uh, the, uh, now defunct, unfortunately, but on the, on the cover of outdoor photography, Canada. Uh, and it was a really fun article to write. And I wasn't intending that they were going to give me the cover shot, but they loved it so much that that shot using a Pringles can as a light modifier got me that cover shot spot. And uh, since then, I've been recommending it to people that just want to play and tinker and experiment because as soon as you start making something yourself, you start to get inventive and creative as part of that process on its own. Can I add to that? that um, yeah. If you, if you search your flash model 
on eBay or Amazon, you will find diffusers for that particular flash model. And what I did with mine, because obviously I've, I've done the Pringles can, it was before my channel went up, unfortunately, so now I don't have it because I sat on it and broke it. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> Get another um, one. <laughs> <laughs> but basically what I did with the flash diffuser is I, I actually put that into the end of it. That way I could set it on and off my camera very easily and block out the light as well. That and works. the other thing with the Pringles can as well is if you, you're using a fixed focal length lens, you can cut it to the size of your lens so that that yep. light is perfectly on top of the uh, the lens so it's coming straight onto your subject. And it works brilliantly. You'd be surprised just how good you can get the images out of the Pringles can diffuser. Yeah. And, I mean, to me, uh, there's nothing simpler than using the stuff you have at home and repurposing it. And Maybe I should I do love a that. video about that or something. <laughs> I, I, I think that I, I will be doing a video for an upcoming yeah. project that includes that and uh, showing how functionally it can it can actually work. I was actually but, very surprised when I tried it out just how good it actually was. Yeah, <laughs> I, and uh, I mean, yeah, you can commercially go out and buy something that gives you comparable, possibly better results. Um, but you could even modify the Pringles can in different ways to get better results. Just sit down, you know, scratch your head and think, well, what is it doing? Why is it doing that? And how can I make it do it even better? And I'm sure you'd come There's up with a bunch of There's two functions you're looking at. One, you want to diffuse the light because nobody likes harsh lighting on your shots. And the second is you're moving the light source towards the front of the lens. Mm -hmm. So literally, I mean, if you put your imagination to it, you could literally create anything you wanted to. Sure. I mean, like, what if instead of uh, the simple setup with just the Pringles can, what if you had some, uh, like, disposable plastic or uh, paper bowls? Um, like, we just had a, uh, a, a meal of some, like, frozen fajita bowls that came in these paper bowls um, uh, the other day. And I was thinking of actually just rescuing one of those, you know, rinsing it out and everything. They're, you know, I'm glad that they were disposable and, and paper-based, not uh, uh, plastic. But what if I were to cut a hole in that and add that to the end of the Pringles can and then cover the end of the bowl, then the end would actually be a slightly larger light source and that would help with the diffusion. So yeah. there's so many ways for you to evolve these ideas. Just look around you, see what's going to work and, my, and my you, will, you will fail. Uh, I, I just want to say this. <laughs> Go on. I, 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 uh, the uh, You will fail multiple times trying to create yes. this stuff. You will fail, uh, you know, I don't know, five, six times before you actually get something that really, really works, whether you just tape things together wrong, whether it doesn't sit on your flash, right? Whether you have to use a different diffusing uh, method, but it's not a failure if you learn from it and you use that towards creating something really good. And then when you do, don't stop there. Use that as a stepping stone towards whatever your next project is going to be. Keep tinkering, keep your mind active in that way. And that helps keep me sane. But yeah. what were you going to say? I was going to say the one tip I'd say is just don't leave it lying around, yeah? <laughs> yes, yeah, you might tread on it, sit or, on it. Or, or, or like me you might accidentally sit on it i have a habit and i still do it today okay you've seen my setup on my youtube videos uh, anyone who hasn't seen it they can see it on the videos and when i'm photographing somewhere that's like say at the desk level i get out my chair and kneel down to photograph so i can get eye level to the spider or whatever the subject is but then i have a nasty habit of whatever i'm holding I put it in my chair rather than on the desk. <laughs> and then, you know, one thing leads to another. And then the next thing you know, you're sitting on your camera, which I've done twice so far. Oh, <laughs> okay, well. Both, uh, both times my other camera wasn't recording. So you haven't seen that yet on YouTube, but eventually it will come. <laughs> well, let's hope nothing gets broken in the process. Uh, but at the very least, uh, everybody should get out there and be creative. Uh, and when I say get out there, I mean stay at home.
I mean, yes. <laughs> do as much <laughs> as you can at home. Uh, and uh, and thank you to everybody that's been listening. And thank you, Stuart, for uh, being on this episode of Photo Geek Weekly. My pleasure. Again, you can find the show notes at photogeekweekly.com. And I really want you to go and check out some of the stuff that we talked about, including uh, that Franken camera, which you just have to see to believe, and that very ornate lens uh, at at uh, Japan Camera Hunter, which right now they have one in stock of the blue and two in stock of the red brown. Um, hopefully those will disappear because they deserve to find good homes. Um, again, thank you to everybody who's listening. And now it's time to stay in and shoot. <laughs>